0: Salam and welcome to our podcast Muslims on Fire Stories from ordinary Muslims doing extraordinary things With your host Maruf Dear listener Based on many requests from our listeners, we are launching a Muslims on Fire Academy. It's for those who want to do more than just listening. It's for those who not only want to be inspired, but to be one of the Muslims on Fire as well. It's for those who want to discover their purpose in life, follow their dreams, and live in prosperity. If this is you, join us for a journey of a lifetime. The introduction course is free. Learn more at academy.muslimsonfire.com Learn more at academy.muslimsonfire.com
1: Hey, assalamu alaikum. This is Maruf, your host, Muslims on Fire. And today I have a very good friend of mine from U.S. And some of you may even know his company, LaunchGood. This is an amazing company. And in a nutshell, LaunchGood is kind of Kickstarter for Muslim Muslims right around the world but today we're gonna deep dive he's one of the co-founders we're gonna deep dive his childhood and learn what makes him tick and hopefully we can learn a thing or two and we're gonna pick his brain inshallah salam alaikum craze welcome to the show bro
2: thank you maruf i'm excited
1: it's an honor to invite you here you know so as i said what we're gonna do we're gonna deep dive your childhood what you did and then we from there we're just gonna go up up till today so uh so chris tell us tell us uh about your childhood your family your early memories and then what makes you think you know that shaped you as a person today go it's, ahead
2: it's, it's a it's a really good question um i'm going to actually start with my parents childhood because okay. I, I think that informed okay okay later, later my childhood uh you know one of the interesting things is my my grandfather was um, a translator for the American Army uh, for Japanese um, in World War II. Now he wasn't okay. Japanese himself. He was Irish, but he grew up in Seattle on the, uh-huh. the wharfs and docks, and he had a lot of Japanese friends. So as a kid, he learned to speak Japanese, and when the war broke out, you know that was a very useful uh, skill to have. Okay. And so um, after the war, he basically settled in Asia. And so my mother, although she's you know blue-eyed, white-blooded American. Um, Grew up her, most of her child in Asia, uh, childhood in Asia. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my father, who's from the Midwest, also, you know, uh, uh, this, you know, very uh, much a white American from Ohio and traditional family, everything, right? Um, He went through a hippie phase. And at one point, he went to India and joined the Peace Corps, in part to avoid okay. the Vietnam War. Okay. And so he also had this experience growing up in the East uh, at a formative time in his life, you know, about three years in his early 20s. I see. Um, and so they later later met in business school, Columbia Business School in New York City. And uh, when they got married, at first they were falling into that typical Routine, you know. I mean, they they both got corporate jobs and mm-hmm. bought a little house in the suburbs. Um, and then my dad got a really unique opportunity. He's with American Express, mm-hmm. the credit card company. Yeah, yeah, sure. And he was doing well in Manhattan, and they offered him a promotion, but that promotion was to go lead marketing in Southeast Asia.
1: Okay, uh, interesting.
2: Hard moving to malaysia it required my mom quitting her job with pfizer and um it was not something a lot of people would have done at that time like this is the we're talking the early 80s Okay. Um, but because both my father and mother had that experience already living in asia and kind of being explorers in their own life mm-hmm. uh it wasn't a hard decision for them actually and so they moved to malaysia and that's where i was born and so that, the first that's thing that's is, is that's crazy right
1: because that, that's, that's kind of that's something you wouldn't expect for you to be born, but here you go, right?
2: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a joke <laughs> within Launchkit. is we have three founders, myself, Amani Kalau, and Omar Hamid. Now, Amani's family is from mm-hmm. uh, Syria. Omar's family is from Egypt. Okay. And then I'm, you know, the white American, but I'm actually the only one not born in America. You know, Omar's born <laughs> in Atlanta and Amani and is born in Detroit. Uh, I and say- so it's, it's kind of funny if you put it, A picture of the three of us. Guess which one of these are a boater? It's actually me. (laughs) Uh, I see. Yeah. So I was born in Malaysia. Uh, When we were two, my dad got another job promotion that had him uh, move to South Korea. And when I was five, he got another promotion that brought him back to New York. So we moved back to New Jersey. Um, Got it. I
1: see. And
2: that was how it was until I was 13. So, you know, most of my childhood, although I had the early experience in Asia, most of it was actually in New Jersey. Um, Now, interesting thing happened when my mom quit Pfizer and we moved to Malaysia. uh, She's just such an energetic woman. She couldn't just stay home, for example, with the kids. (laughs) Um, So she started, she took her experience in the pharmaceutical industry and started a small consulting company. And she kept it going when we moved to Korea and kept it Jersey and every step along the way, just grew a little bit, a little bit, a little bit until, uh, in the late, mid, late nineties, there was this recession
0: mm-hmm.
2: in, um, Asia. And, and I don't know if you, you would know about that, but no, anyway, I, there I was. and, uh, it was devastating. A lot of businesses closed and the economy just came to standstill. Um, and, but there's a kind of a blessing that's kind of like a forest fire that wipes out, you know, let's say a clearing, mm-hmm. uh, a forest, but the seeds that are planted or the, the trees that can survive can really thrive because now the competition sure. is kind of gone. And so my mother, she didn't make any money for a year or so, but um, that was okay. My dad still had his job. And then once the economy rebounded, alhamdulillah, my mother's business really took off. Okay. And, uh, to the point that my father was able to quit American Express and join her um, when uh, w- about the time I was 13 and at that time um, because they didn't have to live near New York anymore and, and it's not there's a lot of drawbacks to living in New Jersey it's it's nickname is the armpit of America or the armpit <laughs> of New York I should say it's, it's... Um, and so they decided they wanted to move up to massachusetts uh it's a beautiful state we have a lot of family in that area and my mother went to college there and so that was it when i was 13 we we my dad quit and expressed joined my mother and then we ended up moving to amherst massachusetts mm. uh, so, which is in the
1: west I part see. of the state so i just got if you don't my mask so as, as a young child i guess i can see that you had quite a, a lot of experience right for 13 years old your guys changing the country at least two three times and how would it how would it affect your childhood and mainly like making friends you know you know in the way, especially when you're young you want to create a bond connection with small friends and after a while you just move to another country did, did you see it as a blessing or did you see it as like a uh, you know that's something you would like to avoid and you would have like more permanent friends
2: Well, it's definitely something at the age I wanted to avoid. Absolutely. Mm. You know, Mm. when we moved, when my parents were saying we're moving to Massachusetts, I was so upset because it did take a long time to make these friends in New Jersey. You know, it's not like I I moved there when I was five and all of a sudden I'm friends with everybody. Right. It felt like it took five years before I had my core group of friends Mm. and then it's like after a couple of years, it's like okay, now we gotta move again, and it's like what,
1: <laughs> I see. you know?
2: I see. And, and so I was so mad at my parents, and you know, I was like hurting myself, and I was, uh, wow, you know, we'd throw the the for sale sign. My sister and I would throw it in the woods, and like, you know, we were really uh, like people came and visited the house. We try to scare them away, and we were really not happy to move. Yeah, and but here's the irony of it is is we ended up moving, mm. and we moved to family called the dance uh, next door to the family called the dance and they had a son michael who was my age so mm-hmm. um uh he ended up becoming muslim and i'll go into i'll tell that story if you like he ended up becoming muslim and then i followed him into islam wow. and so now in hindsight i'm so glad my parents moved like if they never moved to massachusetts I'd, <laughs> yeah. you know, i never would have met michael maybe i never become muslim and now my parent my dad like Kind of joking, half joking, like regrets that they ever moved to Massachusetts. Like, hey, we've oh, never see. moved. Chris never become Muslim. You know, oh, um, I see. so yeah, I see. there's you know, they're tough decisions you have to make as a parent. I see. And your kids aren't always happy in the moment, but um looking back,
1: it may seem different.
2: Yeah, it's different. And then of course, you know, I, I think even you had that experience moving to uh, Europe as a young person yeah. from, from Uzbekistan. It's not easy but it's it not, does teach it's not you skills yeah. absolutely you know?
1: so i mean look look when you were growing up like uh, about a little bit would like to know about your siblings do you have any siblings or you were the only child or i mean if you had siblings probably it was a bit easier for you i guess in that in that sense even though you moved you had still your brother or sister yeah you know
2: it's interesting i definitely yeah so i have an older sister mm-hmm. uh, and a younger sister and a youngest brother okay um, my older sister is about 3 years older my younger is about 3 years younger and then the youngest brother was a surprise baby. So he's 13 years younger. <laughs> um,
1: Happens. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you are the number two. Number, number, two
2: in- number two. Yeah. yeah and for I a long see. time, I was a middle child. I see. Um, I see. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, I definitely had a very close relationship with my older sister. And that helped with the move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, so so, so I, I just want to like to know deep dive on the Michael, the guy Michael. You said that the family, the, he became Muslim, and you became. Can we can we deep dive on this? Like, like, yeah. What, what age were you on that so, time?
2: So this was interesting. We were in high school. Um, like mm. I said, we we moved next door uh, around 13, 14 years old, mm-hmm. and um, Mike and I were both, you know, white middle upper class kids uh our parents go to the same church Mm -hmm. we're in the same school we both are tennis stars you know like for example uh we played varsity tennis which is like the the highest level of tennis in high school from the very first year from ninth
1: grade i didn't know you played tennis cool
2: uh well i don't anymore but uh, maybe one day i'll get back into it so anyway um with mike uh it seems like we would be friends in the making but actually we were very different so we had all those similarities but. Mm Unfortunately, Mike got into a lot of bad habits like I alcohol see. and drugs from about 10 years old, 10, 11 years old okay, okay. And so he he was a, he was a mess. Huh. He was causing a lot of problems in school with his teachers, um, with his parents. I just kept away from him because it was like I, I pretended as was a tough kid you know I had skateboard and chains and stuff but I was actually not, not <laughs> tough at all. And I, I was really scared of my parents. I, I did well in school. You know, I wanted to do well in school. And so I kept my distance from Mike. And then all of a sudden, when he was 15, mm-hmm. I noticed it changed.
0: Childhood Questions are sponsored by Ali Huda. Ali Huda is a video-on-demand streaming platform for Muslim children where they can watch cartoons and shows while learning about Islam the fun way. If you are a Muslim parent, this will be one of your best investments. Visit www.alihuda.com for a seven-day free trial. Now back to the show.
2: You know, all of a sudden when we were playing tennis, Sometimes he'd go off in a corner and put his head on the ground, hmm. and then in school he started, you know, uh, taking the the advanced classes and and uh, the college preparatory classes, and I was like, Mike, what's wrong with you? You know, uh, this is the, the AP wrong? class, you know, and and not basic European history. And he said, no, 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 I'm in the right place, and 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 you know, I, I noticed that he was like a different person, and and that when I pushed, uh, he told me he'd have become Muslim. Now, this was before 9-11, okay. uh, and, and the way he became Muslim was through his tennis coach. His tennis coach, at one point, he got in so much trouble I that he was permanently grounded, and he wasn't wow. allowed to see any friends except Whoa. his tennis coach. The only person he was allowed to spend time with was his tennis coach, who was this you know 55-year-old African-American Muslim from Elizabeth, New Jersey, who had become Muslim way back in the time of Malcolm X.
1: Whoa. That goes and back.
2: It goes way back. So he's old school. Hmm. And he's a really cool guy. I'm really cool. Wow. And um, yeah, yeah, so you know, when he started, Mike would come over his house. They spent time together and he started giving them books. In fact, the interesting thing is they weren't Muslim books. They were actually Christian books, but okay. it was there were books about why you need God in your life.
1: Oh, I see.
2: And it's a general argument, you know, it could sure. apply to any religion. Sure. And Mike could just, you know, was able to compare his life to his coach's life, his mentor's uh-huh. life. And uh, I mean, this really highlights the importance of, for young men to have mentors, Mentor, exactly. Especially outside their family. You know, in traditional societies, it's not like it's not like the mother and the father have to be responsible for raising their kids. There's grandparents, there's uncles, Absolutely. aunts, you know, just people in the neighborhood. Um, they're all involved in raising mm. the family. Uh, it, raising you know, kids. as they
1: say, it takes a village to grow a child, exactly, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. And, it, you know, sometimes, especially in the West, mm. uh, we're very isolated. You have your exactly. nuclear family and then you have your classmates and all your classmates are the exact same age as you. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all you have, you know. Um, you don't have like strong relationships with your uncles and aunts and cousins mm, usually. Unfortunately, yeah, and, and unfortunately, and uh, you don't know people of other ages. Um. But anyway, so Mike had become Muslim, and he'd gradually start, you know, started changing habits and stop drinking, stop smoking, stop hanging out with those bad influences in his life. Sure,
1: and, and you don't you notice that?
2: I noticed that. I noticed that, and and then um. I was, at this time, I was a junior in high school. So I was about uh, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a class called African-American literature that winter. Mm-hmm. And it really opened my eyes up to the problem of racism in this country. Mm-hmm. I had ignorantly thought that racism more or less died with the Civil Rights Act in 1967. Yeah. Right. And I thought we are in this like post-racial society um growing up in my little bubble i mean this is now it's obviously not the case because we have all these everyone's got smartphones we've all these videos of you exactly. know white cops you killing, know uh, yeah. killing and, and harassing african-americans but in the in the 90s i mean w- we didn't have that you know every once course, i get yeah. like rodney king and you get some you know uh, rare, rare cases someone has the actual video camera on hand and, and records it right but um, for the most part, all that stuff was is still happening. It's probably even happening more then than it was today, but there was yeah. no visibility of it. So yeah. what you can't see, you think's just not there. It Doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and th- so anyway, that class really opened my eyes up, and I was disgusted.
1: Why, why did you take this class? Do you remember? Out of sudden, little or what it was some interest? Maybe because question. of Mike's trainer. No, you know about... no.
2: You know, that's a great question. I can't even remember. Okay. So um, I had a great teacher. um i think in general when you're that age around 16 years old you're open more open-minded i guess you're you're more open-minded you're a bit of an idealist Mm -hmm. right um there's a saying that like whoever is uh uh 25 and isn't a marxist has no compassion in their heart Mm. and you know whoever's 35 and is still a marxist has no intellect you know intellect (laughs) so you know, there is something said like young people that have this idealism to them. Absolutely, they 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 they're very like everything's black and white. It, and there's sure. obviously there's good and bad to both, of sure. course. Sure. Um, but I, I probably at that time I was challenging myself to uh, explore, and um, you know, I had African American friends and and mm. friends of different races, and so you know, I think I just wanted to broaden my horizons. Absolutely. Um, and yeah so you, know, but,
1: you notice two things, right You noticed the mic has changed because he changed the religion. you also noticed there's actually racism going on. So what, what did it mean to you? Yeah Well, that, yeah.
2: I, I was disgusted and I was like, we have to get past this as a society, but how? We mm. changed the laws. like what else were we supposed to do? Mm. And at this point, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. that was actually yeah. part of the class. Oh yeah. Um, and I was really touched. Uh, now the interesting thing about that book is um, it's a, a fantastic story. The first half of the book is really just like it's a movie, and they literally mer- turned it into a movie and Daniel <laughs> yeah, Baldwin and yeah, about it movies, and, Academy yeah. and stuff. Um, the second half of the book is actually pretty spiritual. You know, he yeah. talks about his Hajj. He talks about Islam and that America needs Islam because it's the solution to its problems like racism because mm-hmm. it changes people's hearts. Mm. And they, our teacher was like, okay, you don't have to read the second half of the book. You just have to read the first half of the book for this class. And I was, I was like, why, why, not? why wouldn't I read it? It's yeah. so good. Yeah. And so I'm reading the second half of the book and I'm really thinking about this. And I'm like, this is true. You know, mm. it's not enough to change the laws. We have to change the hearts. Absolutely. And how do you change people's hearts? Uh, Islam is a way to change people's hearts because I can see how it's changed. Mike, I right. can see how it changed Malcolm. And so, I was thinking, um, uh, there's something here, there's something special in Islam. And that's when I started taking it seriously.
0: Do you struggle with deen and dunya balance in your life? Meet Salam.app, a Muslim social network where your ego, nafs, is not in the center. It is a place to feed your soul with daily inspiration to make new Muslim friends and connect with Ummah. Visit www.salam.app and download free for your iPhone or Android.
2: There is a section when Malcolm, Malcolm writes about when he was, uh, you know, at one point he went to prison and he wasn't yet Muslim. And he met some Muslims. Mm. And, um, you know, he's thinking himself about becoming a at that time a black Muslim anti-nation Islam, mm. and he was given advice which is almost a hadith prophetic hadith um, where he said if you take one step towards Allah, Allah takes two steps towards you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And so Malcolm changed some things in life, and that and at that point my own personal journey I was atheist. You know I grew mm. grown up Christian but not a very practicing family. You know mm. we go to. To church maybe for Christmas and Easter, kind of like uh, you know your Muslim families they go to church uh, the masjid for the two eids, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we, we call them priesters, Christian Easter uh, Christians uh, Easter.
1: Interesting. So, but but, you, but your parents were kind of practicing, or they were also something. like that?
2: No, I mean it's very cultural. I see. I see. It's not. It's not. It's not like they really believe in a hereafter. Um, okay. or even really believe in God, I should say, which is uh, kind of interesting thing. Okay. Um, and, but anyway, I, I, I had studied this, uh, Christianity a little bit when I was, you know, around middle school and there were all sorts of contradictions and all sorts of things that, you know, right away just told me this can't be the truth with a capital T okay. and growing up in the West, you have this dichotomy. Of religion versus science, are you a yeah. believer or are you a rationalist? You can't be.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's what problem.
2: you're. Right? I mean, yeah. it, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, but that's kind of the culture, especially on the east coast of America. And religion I was like, is just well, a
1: fairy tales, right? It cannot be. It has nothing, or cannot be ever yeah. related, anything with science. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And, and 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 sometimes it like it, it spits in science face, right? It's like, mm. oh, there were no dinosaurs. The Earth is five thousand years old. The Earth mm. is flat, like. You know, hmm. I mean, some silly stuff, right? And you're like, "Well, exactly. oh, this is all clearly false." And then I started studying a little bit about the history of the Bible, and hmm. oh, you realize that this has changed so many times. We don't even have it in its original language, and yeah. it contradicts itself. And so I was like, "This is, you know, this is just something some man, you know, men wrote to get power for themselves."
1: Sure. So uh, this is anyway. exactly what distance you from the religion again. That's why you became atheist, isn't it?
2: it is it is because that was it it was either i'm christian or atheist i didn't know there were other options i mean i knew of judaism but that's not like a religion you convert to i knew of hinduism hinduism was clearly like made up stories right so (laughs) so they have a lot of
1: gods right i guess
2: yeah and a lot of my my father you know spent time in india so um even for school projects i like doing cover like um studying hinduism like his it's, it's a lot of stories right like so you have these fun fun stories of you know cutting off uh, elephant uh, baby heads and stuff mm. like you know it's it, it's appealing to a 10 year old um sure. but it's also clearly just not true yeah. uh, so um yeah you know at that point is like i never heard it Islam. i i never uh, yeah i mean it was like christianity or, or atheism and, and and for me it was atheism I and see. so I, I liked what Malcolm was saying. I liked the change, the transformation that Mike went through, okay. but I didn't believe in God. Okay. So as much as I was like, I want to be like Malcolm and I want to put on the bow tie and be a Muslim. It was like, well, I don't even believe in God. So I'd be the White biggest bottom. hypocrite. Yeah. Um, but I took, I took that advice to heart. You know, when he said, if you take one step towards Allah, Allah takes two steps towards you. And as as a young atheist and rationalist, to me, that was a hypothesis. So it was only logical to test the hypothesis. Okay. And I quit uh, eating pork. I quit going to parties with alcohol. And my intention was, if this is a true religion, if God really exists, then show me, you know, and and guide (laughs) me to it. And if not, you know, I'm just going to have a big barbecue bender or something in the summer right like um <laughs> and uh mike and i ended up taking so now you're kind of going through this progression so in the fall time i'm starting to learn about islam from mike in the winter i read about autobiography Malcolm X, and I'm, I'm really starting to get interested in islam in the springtime i took another english class with mike huh. um it was a, a i think a creative writing class or something okay and we had a great Teacher from Georgia, Mr. Worthen, with a nice Southern drawl, and we had to keep a journal every week of anything we could. We just had to read something and write about it, and it could be anything. And hmm. so I told Mike, start, you know, give me some information about Islam, hmm. and he'd give me packets, so like, oh, pamphlets, like literally those old school pamphlets. You remember those?
1: Yeah, 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 um, yeah.
2: You know what is Islam? Who is Muhammad? What does sure. Islam say about, or what is the Quran? Every week I'd read one and I'd write about it. And my writing would try to be a way to rationalize it away. Right. Okay. So who was Muhammad? So what I'm you know, and I'd say, Well, you know, I'd read I'd say I read this and I'm thinking, you know, maybe he was um hmm. you know, just like a, a really compassionate person or like yeah. maybe maybe he wanted to make a
1: sense, right?
2: You know, I but you try you try thinking about like Some people, for example, say, oh, his revelations were actually like some sort of uh, uh, epilepsy and, you know, he's kind of going through delusions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Like the rest of the stuff, he's not like, it's not delusional. You know, people loved him. They followed him. He changed. So I really had trouble explaining who was this person. Mm -hmm. You know, why would he give up his whole life at 40 years old? you know, he was, he was very comfortable, good place in society, married to beautiful rich Mm -hmm. woman, good business, good, you know, kids, like, why did he throw that all away? Mm. And they offered him kingship, they offered him money, they offered him whatever he wanted. Exactly. And and he wouldn't stop. So that, I, you know, I couldn't explain that. And then I studied the Quran. And that really surprised me, because I was like, wow, this book hasn't changed. It's not like the Bible. And it's in Mm. its original language. And even you could be, you know, Sunni or Shia or Sufi or Ismaili or I don't care what you are.
1: Any you type have one of Quran. Muslim,
2: it's just, it's one Quran, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's in the Arabic, right? And so, yeah. you know, people memorize this book. And then, then I started studying the scientific miracles of the Quran, mm. and I was like, oh, like really, like some guy wrote this in the desert, you know, fourteen hundred years ago, and there was not universities. They didn't have books, and this is not Alexandria. This is Mecca, you know. Yeah. And so you know I, I I just I couldn't explain away Islam. And then I got one night I was reading about heaven and hell. Okay. So Jannah and Jahannam in in Quran. And uh this was actually a different book you might know it's called the Brief Illustrated Guide to Islam.
1: Oh yeah 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 yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, a very basic book, but sometimes the basic stuff is good. Exactly. And uh Uh, so I'm reading this and at the end of it, it talks about the hereafter. And at this point, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm really getting ready for college. So I'm thinking about where do I want to apply to school? Where, um, what do I want to study? And where, where in the country do I want to live? You know, what type of career do I want to get into? And so I'm thinking about all these, uh, hypotheticals. Mm. And at this moment I'm reading about not a hypothetical, but a certainty that I'm going to die. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time and energy preparing for these things that probably will happen. Like I probably mm. will go to college and get a degree and, and start a career, but I'm not guaranteed it. But I am guaranteed I'm going to die. What if That's I okay. prepared for death? And I realized nothing. I hadn't spent any time thinking about it. I hadn't spent any time, you know, doing anything in my life for that moment. And I thought to myself, I might go out tomorrow and get hit by a bus and it's over. And if mm-hmm. I die, I'm not sure Islam's the truth, but I want to die as a Muslim. That, you know, that was clear to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I figured if I want to die as a Muslim, then I better become Muslim. Wow. And uh, that was, you know, that was it. Like, I, I very much feel like I submitted, you know, there's a verse in the Quran about the, the Bedouin Arabs, you know, don't say you, you believe, but say you submitted. Yeah. Because faith hasn't yet entered your heart. And I, I sort of feel I was that way, that... Okay, I knew Islam was true. I could, in my mind, I knew it was true, and in my heart, I was like, I, "There was enough faith to enter it," but it was not like I was wait, uh, wait, 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 like wait, wait here. Just
1: wait. I just want. I would like to... So, what you're saying is, in your mind, you accept, but in your heart, it, you were struggling. Was it the case? Is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, usually, the way I understand atheist people, they are more. They are they are thinking with their head, not necessarily they are believing in their feelings. But what you're saying, it was opposite to you.
2: Well, no, I'm, I'm, that is what I'm saying. In, in a sense, as an atheist in my head, I'm thinking about it, and I got convinced Islam is mm. true. In oh, my
1: head. okay, 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 okay. okay. But not but in your in heart my, yet.
2: In my heart, I I was still like struggling. You know, I was on the first step of ring of the ladder. You know, and I think this is a good thing to know. Like some people they know Islam is true, but they don't become Muslim because they're like, they want like cash. They want like unveiling, of, you know, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they want their whole heart to be filled with faith. And it's like, mm. you know, you have to take the first step. Yeah. That's the whole point. Like you take the first step, but then Allah takes two steps towards you, mm. you know, and and I, I really experienced that subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like I remember making that decision to become Muslim. Uh, I went with my friend Mike to, our uh the closest masjid is almost an hour away from us actually in west springfield massachusetts and i made my shahada and i believe it was june 3rd 2001 wow and uh i made my shahada and subhanallah you have this amazing feeling after that like
1: something something i think yeah it will be difficult for me to explain i guess (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh, let's see
2: your, your heart is filled with light honestly it's filled with light like um and, amazing.
1: Amazing story. Um, okay. So like, like, do you still keep in touch with Mike? Uh, how is he? Where is he? Like, Just out of curiosity.
2: Oh, yeah. So, uh, yes, Mike, alhamdulillah. Today, Mike and I are best friends. Uh, we ended up going together to the University of Michigan,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, where we were roommates, alhamdulillah. And uh, then he, you know, I studied engineering and business, and, and that's kind of where my life has led. He did Islamic studies. And then he also went to Egypt, Morocco, um, and he went to Princeton, got his Ph.D. in Islamic studies. And today he's a professor of Islamic studies at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, or UIUC. Um, And, you know, alhamdulillah, both of us, we have married two kids. So we're very, very uh, close even till today, alhamdulillah.
1: MashaAllah. So you see, it's amazing looking back, right? He was pretty, like almost that uh, you cannot get worse than this. He was fully grounded. He took this thing. He was kind of forced to be only to meet one person. This this coach, and this coach just gives him books. And I think the mic decides enough is enough. I just want to do something. And look, I think he took the step, and you kind of inspired. I guess just it's amazing sometimes. Isn't it? Just one small step makes a huge difference in the long run. Looking back,
0: it and does
1: it's amazing it okay okay chris that's 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 a beautiful story thank you for sharing very much so uh i guess now yeah you you're finished your studies so you see one of the things one of the most beautiful gifts in in in, in anyone's life is because i guess discovering the creator right and, and that's 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 speechless like i would say but having said that but some people might have stopped there but but now as of what you guys do today with uh, with launch good is, mashallah, you guys do an amazing job. You help uh, many Muslim companies, even charities, recently that you know get more funds so they keep on doing more good stuff, right? So I want to like to get to know the backstory. You mentioned briefly your co-founders. I would like to. Can you tell us a backstory how it all started, and then we can come to where it is today?
2: Uh, so I'm going to give you the long version since we're doing a long form podcast. Sure. Um, you know. I mentioned I became Muslim in 2001, uh, June 3rd, 2001, which is of course the same year as the nine 11 terrorist attacks. Yep. And that was just three months before or after, before I became Muslim three months before. Okay. Okay. And it it was, it was devastating to me Ah. because you know, you're, and I'm sure you've seen it like you're a young convert. You're very zealous. Like Islam is the truth. And you're so, Mm you know, I would wear a Kufi and I was just so proud of my Islam. Hmm. and then 9-11 happened and it's like what again the closest masjid does is an hour basically the muslims that i know are still just like mike and malcolm like you know we don't really have a big muslim community where we're from and so you know the the muslims i know are very good muslims Hmm. um and they're the muslims i read about in books like the sahaba Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and and now i'm seeing you know osama bin laden on tv and it's like who is this guy you know, yeah. and, and it was very confusing because he's quoting the Quran, he's quoting Hadith, he's got a big beard, a turban, a thobe. Mm. like, you know, you're like, wait a second, this is a sheikh, this is supposed to be who we follow. Mm-hmm. But what he's calling for is crazy.
1: doesn't you make know, sense.
2: It, it, I cried, I, I literally cried. And I was, I remember I was in, my, um, I was in Mike's uh, room after an 11 I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, and, and it there's was a because, crisis
1: of like, your, your, I would say the identity crisis or faith crisis, whatever you call it, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And, and I have a lot of sympathy for, you know, these converts or, or young Muslims that fall into the traps of ISIS and Al-Qaeda or whatever, because they're so man, manipulative yeah. uh, uh, or, or or easily manipulated, I should say, the, the, the converts themselves, because They just want to do the right thing. And they're willing to sacrifice everything for the right thing. Yeah. And what bigger sacrifice could there be than your life? Right. And then all you have to do is get someone, you know, misquoting the Quran. And all of a sudden it's like, God's telling you, you need to do this. Yeah. And you, you throw your intellect out the window, you know? And so that was, I, I was struggling at that moment to really figure out what is Islam? What am I supposed to do? Um again I was very fortunate Mike I had Mike with me and he was you know he'd been a muslim about a year or two before me so mm. he knew a lot more than me I see right and he was able to kind of help walk me through that understanding um uh, I mentioned we went to University of Michigan we had a great professor yep. Dr. Sherman Jackson in general Michigan has a, an amazing muslim community much better than western massachusetts um and I got exposure to you know, so many wonderful Muslims, teachers, scholars, and I get to really start to understand Islam. I get to travel the world. I got to go to Turkey, mm. to Morocco, to Jordan, to Malaysia, to uh, make Umrah, like a lot of great experiences. And I realized a couple of things. Uh, one, obviously the Islam of Osama bin Laden is not true Islam, right? Mm. And we've got um, uh, a big you know, PR problem. We're not able to tell people what Islam really is and who we are. Um, and Muslims are great. I mean, you know, like, I'm sure if I came over with you, uh, you're in Denmark, right? Or Norway? Yep. Denmark.
1: Yep. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah.
2: Right. If I came over to Denmark, you would treat me like family, you know, and give me tea and, Inshallah. you know, Danish cookies Inshallah. and all Inshallah. that, right? And if, if we went over, Uh, on a trip to Uzbekistan, it'd be probably even better, you know, and like, that's how Muslims are everywhere. They're just wonderful people. And so I felt like on the one hand, as Muslims, we weren't doing a good job of explaining who we are and what, you know, what we're about. And then on the other hand, I noticed something when I, and you talked about this a little bit, I believe on your podcast with Shahid, um, we're a bit, too much stuck in a victim mindset. And I say that cautiously because we, as a as an umma, we've been largely oppressed for the, like terribly for the last hundred That's years. That's also true, yeah. So, so I don't want to discount it like, oh, it's, you know, but there is something there that like, I remember once I was um, in a cab in Jordan and uh, as these things go, they ask you, what's your name? Where are you from? And I explain I'm from America and the cab driver starts going off on America. Wow. and uh, starts going off on Israel and starts going off on Shaitan. Like, you know, all the problems in his life are caused yeah. by these three. Right uh, which might be true, actually. And then the then goes off for like or something. And I'm like, you know, why don't we stop? Uh, why don't you come in and pray with me? <laughs> and uh, he's like, no, you go pray. I'm going to have a smoke. Right. And so that's, that's just that, that that to me is, I think, one of the issues that we have sometimes as a community, is that, yes, we have problems, and no, we don't have all the immediate solutions, but we're not doing what we can do. That's right.
1: right. You know, on the top of that, there's one more issue we have is that you're right. Like you said, we are not telling, we are not telling the world the... um, You see, you felt that. Do you remember, you go back to that feeling after you take shahada, that feeling, and that feeling, and, and and we kind of all to people we all to people uh, to I mean to non-Muslims as Muslim to call them to Islam right and to do that we need to do it best by our action that's the first thing the other thing is uh, especially what you went through I went through personally when I was in Denmark so you see you became Muslim two thousand one I came to Denmark two thousand three right um, so I had a similar experience, because in Uzbekistan, I was just as a cab driver, I would call myself Muslim, but I wouldn't practice, right? Mm. So when I came to Denmark, you have to, I had to really go through the steps, we discover Islam, what Islam is, but but the, the image, that image, as you mentioned, on the TV is like big bird, you know, people claiming to be Muslim and killing people, it didn't make any sense, I had to make a decision, am I part of this, guys? Or, yeah. or what? You know? And and, and the, the, the part of the game is that the media plays here is that as media in general, not I think not only about Muslims in general. What they focus is they f- tend to focus bad news because it sells, right? Yeah. Of and, and and that's exactly what they do about Islam as well. But but the general people when they look at TV, they say, okay, this is Muslims, they terrorists, blah blah blah. But I think I just want to talk to about I want to your story. But I think that you're right. So, but on the part of the story is also media as well. But to do that, media will keep doing whatever they're doing. We just need, uh, I guess, our own medium, you know, and we, not as do... a one. We Yeah.
2: And there, there's a, one of my very influential teachers, uh, especially early on. His name is Dr. Omar Furuq Okay. And uh, he wrote an article called Islam and the Cultural Imperative. Have you ever read that one?
1: No, no, not that one.
2: It's amazing. I mean, you just Google it. Is this the article it or the book? Article.
1: Okay, please share it with yeah. me and we can yeah. put it on the show notes as well.
2: Yeah, so Islam and the Cultural Imperative. And he opens up with this metaphor that Islam is like a clear water that flows in a river, and it will yes. reflect the color of the bedrock under the water. So Islam in China looks Chinese. Uh, hmm. Islam in Uzbekistan probably looks Uzbek. You know, hmm. Islam in Egypt looks Egyptian. And um, you know how to build your mosque. There's no Islamic way to build your mosque,
1: hmm. right?
2: And that, that's what you'll see that the architecture. Varies, and that's part of the beauty of Islam, absolutely. Um, but Islam is always connected to culture, and mm. Islam has a role of elevating culture, so it won't go into a place like um Indonesia and just destroy the culture and replace mm. it with you know Arabian culture, no, but it will go in and take something that might do like shadow puppets and replace it with uh shadow puppets telling the story of the Prophet Muhammad, sallam, you know. Mm. Um, and it'll take the, their clothing and the patterns they wear their clothes and turn them into hijab and modest wear, you know. Mm. And so, I, I really, I, I love that idea that like as Muslims we have to create culture, we mm-hmm. have to elevate culture. And I, I, I really thought like, how do we do that? Like, how can we change culture? Because a lot of Muslims are not in the space of culture creation. We're like engineers and doctors and mm-hmm. cab drivers, and it's not anything that's changing culture, you know. Um, and then, uh, around this time, I had a friend who was a filmmaker, Muslim, and he was a filmmaker and he made a film. His name is Sultan Sharif uh, and he made a film that got into the Sundance Film Festival, which is the premier film festival in America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, his movie was called Bilal's Stand and it was basically about his life. A young man named Bilal growing up in Detroit that wants to go to college and, you know, it's a it's a difficult decision, but the, the movie was actually pretty funny, very creative. Um,
1: was and, it documentary or?
2: No, no, it was a film narrative film okay. and it won a lot of awards. It, it really it was a great film. It did well. People can see it used to be on Netflix. Now it's on Amazon. Okay. Um, cool. So you, you know, you can find it online. It's called Bilal's stand. Uh, Bilal's so stand. anyway, he, he's a, a, you know, Sultan is that culture creator, right? Like he's really a creative guy and he was doing it and he was, Having incredible success with it, but he was a disaster kind of on the business side of things, and you know how that goes. A lot of times, yep. the creative people and the business sides like they're they're two, you know, opposite sides. And so, yep. um, I started helping him, and he asked me, you know, one thing led to another. He asked me if I'd move to Detroit and really help him, kind of establish his company and, and help him with his work and um, his films. And and I was twenty five at the time. Um, I was actually waiting for a job uh, this job to start with the Islamic development bank in Jeddah. And it's just mm-hmm. taking forever. And if you know the bureaucracy of like the yeah. Middle East, it's like I literally, literally, I was waiting 12 months. I was like crazy. And, um, uh, you know, I said, you know, what do I have to lose? And I'm 25, I'm single. Um, I don't really need the money right now that Dubai is the Islamic development bank in, in Jeddah. Uh, I should just do this, you know. Like it's like okay. one of those moments you feel like will change your life, and you'll look back and and I, and, and really, it has been. It's crazy. So if you're like in your twenties and you got nothing to lose, take those bold, risky decisions because they it's the best time to do that <laughs> without yeah. family.
1: Single, as you said, yeah.
2: Single, I, I you know there's there's actually uh, I'm 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 all over the place with this interview. Forgive me, but there's some amazing <laughs> advice I got. When I was 22, when I was, was in, uh, I was in uh, the Qasid, I studied Arabic in Qasid Institute in Amman, Jordan. Have you heard of Qasid Institute?
1: Nope. Okay. It,
2: I, I would say it's the best Arabic language center in the Middle East. Um,
1: Interesting. But you have to go to mid- study on campus, right? Or is online?
2: Uh, well, I think they started online now, but at that time it was on, on campus. I mean, that's obviously what I recommend because then you immerse yourself in Arabic culture and language. Um, but, uh, anyway, I was studying Arabic there that summer and the founder, one of the co-founders, uh, his name was, uh, is Mohammed mari Um, and this guy, I looked at him and it was just like, wow, I want to be like you, you know, he was, um, he had, I think he degrees from like maybe Harvard and Berkeley or something, and he did McKinsey Consulting, wow. uh, which is, you know, one of the top premier sure. jobs Yeah, get. And then he was backpacking the world and um, stopped in Jordan and helped his friend launch this Arabic place. And he had like a wife and kids and his sheikh and like everything, like he had his dunya and his deen. And it's just like, yeah, I was like, man, how'd you do it? You, know, you seem like the, the complete package. And so I asked him for advice. And, you know, a lot of times you get generic advice, like keep your sure. head down, work hard, make dua, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. No, he gave me very specific advice. Okay. His advice was spend your 20s learning as much as possible. And the trick is, this is what most people miss, is when you, when you master something, quit and challenge yourself with something new. Hmm. So at one point, I was a teacher. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been a teacher, but it's very hard. The first year is really hard. Like every day you feel overwhelmed. And then by the second year, you start to really figure it out. And by the third year, it's like cruise control. It's very easy, you know? Hmm. Um, So that was the time for me to quit being a teacher. I see. And then I started an Arabic nonprofit. Now I'm in like, I'm a nonprofit director. It's called Fawaki. It's in uh, DC now. And that's, again, something totally new. I've never run a nonprofit before. And I'm flying, meeting donors, getting donations, like doing all sorts of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I went from that into film. And I have like no background in film. I'm not a film junkie. You know, I don't, mm. uh, we used to go to these parties with celebrities and, you know, like very famous actors, directors, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. And I don't care, you know, with mm. <laughs> not a good quality. That's why I was never going to succeed in the film. Uh, I was never really passionate about the industry. Um, but when I was in that space, uh, because of that movie, we had that success with the movie and we wanted to finish it off and turn it into fees and, uh, sell it online and et cetera. We needed money to, to do that. Um, I had a friend from New York said there's this new website called Kickstarter. You should check it out and mm. maybe that could help you. And so we ended up being the first Muslims to use Kickstarter. Um, yeah. as far as I'm aware, uh, this was 2010 and we had a very successful campaign. We raised about $22,000 really?
1: and,
2: um, which was, and now it doesn't sound like a lot, maybe for a crowdfunding or Kickstarter campaign, but in that time, it was a lot of money. We I were see. like the second most successful project in Michigan ever, wow. um, at the time. And so, uh, and I realized like, I, I just, I saw something that crowdfunding was transformative. Yep very transformative because before that, and, you know, maybe our younger listeners don't even remember if you had an idea and you wanted to get it done, you better have a rich uncle or some connection. Otherwise Mm -hmm. it's not going anywhere. And crowdfunding changed that completely. It was like, if you have an idea that you can, tell the story of in a compelling enough manner and convince people to support you, you, you know, what your friends, your family, your fans, just strangers on the internet, there's actually a chance you could build that you could make it come to life. Um, I saw that, uh, right in front of me, was something called the pebble watch. Do you remember the pebble watch? Uh, no. Okay. So there was, uh, these guys as smartphone, this was around 2011, I think, okay. uh, as smartphones are, Becoming more common and the iPhone's been out, you know, for a few years now. Sure. Um, these guys had this idea of why, do, why why can't we make a watch that is synced to your phone? It's like a smart watch.
1: Oh, I see.
2: And they Great. pitched it to 100 You were talking
1: venture- about Pebble? they talk about Pebble? Yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah I know Pebble. I heard like Tebble, so I can remember. Pebble. Oh, yeah, definitely, Pebble. Definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. They went a huge, uh, very big campaign, I remember.
2: They, they went to 100 Venture Capitalists. And they were told a hundred times, no. And so they went to Kickstarter and they had a very ambitious project. They said, we want to raise half a million dollars to make this watch. And they made a really cool video and they explained how it worked and they showed mm-hmm. the prototype and they ended up raising like, I think fifteen million dollars or something like that. Like that was
1: crazy. So I remember crazy. that. I remember the ad. It was all over the internet, right? Remember the all over. Netflix?
2: People were people were amazed. And then after that, of course, and Samsung ended up coming out with their gear and Apple with their watch, and yeah. Um, but what it did, I think, the most important thing Pebble Watch did, isn't the whole smartwatch revolution, yep. But the garage entrepreneurship revolution. Yeah. That if you have some idea, like you can actually like just kind of put it together and, and get it out there and turn it into reality. Yeah. And I thought that was such a powerful, uh, a powerful product in itself, this kind of storytelling and, and inspiration engine. And I thought this is what the Muslim world needs. Like we, we have all these problems, True. but we don't have enough people with the confidence and the self-esteem to go forward and try to address them. And so that was the inspiration for Launch Good. I just thought, well, what if we had something like a Kickstarter for the global Muslim community? Like a Not website sure. with all these campaigns of Muslims doing incredible work, really creative work, things that we talk about but never get done. And now all of a sudden they're getting done. Mm-hmm. And it have this snowball effect that maybe it inspired more and more people, you know. And, and uh, you know, I, I think we're on the way. You know, alhamdulillah, we've had a lot of... Um, A lot of success with LaunchKid along those lines now. Um, I mean, just, uh, you know, I mean, your own um, Ali Huda TV, right? I mean, I know that was a LaunchKid campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you necessarily needed LaunchKid to get it out. You were going to get it. But, you know, just having that on LaunchKid for us is a big honor that we can show people like, no, look, here, you you talk about why don't we have like a Netflix for Muslims, you know, or Muslim kids. And it's like, actually, we do someone in Denmark <laughs> made it, you know, from Uzbekistan, yeah, you know, funded by Muslims from probably dozens of countries around the absolutely. world. Like, that's the power of the internet for the ummah today. Absolutely.
0: Um, Psst. If you are an entrepreneur with a product or service for the Muslim market, let's get in touch. We are halal.ad a marketing agency and ad network for the ever growing muslim market we can help you reach millions of muslims to grow your business visit www.halal.ad for a 30 minute free consultation now back to the show
1: you know you know what can you tell us more about like but you la- but you, you could have uh, launched uh, you know launch good with your co-founders, like how do you guys meet each other? Like, I, you know, I just like to get a little bit backstory on that one. And like, what, yeah, what is your strength for each of you?
2: Yeah. And you know, that's a very good story. So when I start again, and I know I'm, I've taken such a long road here. I'll try to be that's good. Now. It's beautiful. Um, beautiful. So when, when I, I started getting this, like we did the Kickstarter in 2010 mm-hmm. at that time, because I was the first Muslim used Kickstarter, I'd see other Muslims that want help with crowdfunding. They would come to me. Oh, so I just organically I start helping people. One of those people I helped was Emani Kalawi, uh, who's mm. now one of my co-founders. She had started, yeah, and when she was like I think sixteen or seventeen, she'd co-founded a, a organization called Detroit Minds and Hearts, helping young Muslims in Detroit. And they they want to do a crowdfunding campaign, and I helped them launch it on Indiegogo. Yeah, uh, that's another one. Yep, and uh, we got on the front page of Indiegogo. It was very successful. And I was totally impressed. Like, Amani, even though she's so young, like a teenager, literally a mm. teenager, she was <laughs> so mature, really she's mature, so yeah. really organized. Like, I was like, wow, this, this person's really special. Um, very yeah. sincere, alhamdulillah, and her faith as well. And, yes. uh, and then the next year, I had taken uh, this entrepreneurship class, and we were supposed to develop an idea. And so I was developing this idea for launch good. And then I found a friend of mine uh, and a mentor, his name is Haris Ahmed and he loved the idea and he agreed to be our angel investor and um, invest the funds to help hire some developers in Pakistan to start to build it. But we okay. needed someone to design it. And sure. so as I'm kind of perusing the Muslim internet, I found a website uh, <laughs> called Elevate Culture actually. Um, okay. It was a really nice nonprofit out of Atlanta and it was the best looking Muslim website I've ever seen. You know, our standards, especially in that time, like 2011, 2012, were very low, You know, okay. like we didn't have good design at all um, in the Muslim community. But this website was really impressive. Okay. And so I contacted uh, Sara, that was her name behind the website. I said, you know, who designed your website? I said, oh, it's this young brother. He's great in Atlanta His name is Omar Mohammed. You should meet him. Okay. And uh, I did meet him. And he was amazing. And and he started working with us. He loved the idea of launch good. Um he, he's a, what we call a, I think they call inverse thinker. So he, he always thinks of things like from the opposite way <laughs> other people think of it, um, which leads to really creative ideas. And he was designing launch good website. He did a, a great job on the first version. Um, this was 2013. We finally launched it. So he started working with us, uh, I think around this time around 2013, mm. um, and, uh, so yeah 2012 we basically spent the whole year building the website and half and even most of 2013 we didn't launch it until september of 2013. Okay. um and uh it was just basically me and amani with hearth as our mentor mm-hmm. um and some developers in pakistan and omar had designed it but then he kept designing it and he was trying to make it mobile friendly like so it's you know true. At that time, it's still like mobile, like response, We know it, responsive websites or websites that fit every screen and tablet and phone. Um, that's the standard today. But in 2013, it was the rare, the exception. Yeah. And that's he funny. had taught himself that. And so now he was turning our website into a responsive website. And I was like, Omar, we don't have any more money. I can't pay you. <laughs> and he's like, I don't care. Like, I, I, I really I'm doing it
1: anyway. I don't care. Uh,
2: anyway. I'm doing it anyway. I really believe what you're doing. And, and, you know, he was working so much with us for free. We said, you know, you might as well just be be a co-founder at this point, you know. And so we brought him on. And uh, that's the three of us, you know. So Amani is our chief operations officer. And she's really good at being organized, making sure that the day-to-day gets done and gets done Mm -hmm. right. That we have processes that, that are sustainable and scalable. She's amazing at that. And Omar is this, you know, I like to call him the Johnny Ive of launch good. He's brilliant designer, um, and and a great creative thinker. I mean, he's always challenging us with, with really different types of ideas. Um, the ideas that I think will take us to the next level. And then I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm the visionary obviously. Um, and, and I'm also able to bring together a lot of different parts. So I understand the day-to-day. I understand the business case. I understand the need for creativity. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I like to think I'm fairly creative and design sense, uh, sensible myself. Um, and so, you know, we, we all balance each other well, really well in that way. And I think it's been our unfair advantage to launch it is that we've had these three founders and, and I've had these two amazing co-founders. Um, that really help us keep everything balanced and uh, uh, focused.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, if, if you have looked today, back now, I mean, it's been almost six years now, right? now, right? There were any, yep. like, I know there's been a lot of, because in, in any business, right, when you launch it, it's not always like, uh, it's not the perfect market fit, right? You had to find out a lot of things. In your case, but you had a bit heads up because you used Kickstarter, Indiegogo, you had a very good understanding, but still, there must be a couple of challenges on the way. And were there any aha moments that you guys learned and the pivoted or did something better to improve it? Or everything was just smooth, you know, as, as it is? How was your experience with that?
2: That was a really good question. And and you know as an entrepreneur, um I think generally everything is there there are a lot of aha moments, but they, they happen smoothly. So as okay. an example of that. When I started, I was very much focused on the Kickstarter model that I wanted all these projects to be creative and entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to kind of avoid charity. Yeah, yeah. Today, launching is mostly charity, right? Yeah, that's what I
1: noticed as well. It's exactly what my question was, but you got you got yeah. there,
2: yeah. Yeah, and um, that's just, you have to respond to your market, you know, like sure. you, you may have one idea of how you want to use your platform but it's a platform. It's, it's actually meant to be used by other people. I mean, I think one of the brilliant things about Twitter is that the hashtag wasn't even invented by Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? Just kind of people organically came up with these, these ways of using it. And so we try to be responsive to that. So we built the platform, but then we also try to respond to how people use it and they, they want to use it for charity. Mm -hmm. So we have to accommodate that. Um, uh, another thing I would say is, um, We've had to become uh, payment and security experts. That was not something I was expecting. Mm. Uh, and maybe ignorantly. I, I probably should in hindsight. I definitely should have. But, you know, we were using Stripe. And it was like this great all-inclusive payments platform with the security. And everything was so smooth and perfect mm. with it until they and just one it
1: off. Yeah. Because
2: we're Muslim. You know, wow. and you're like, that was a rude awakening. And, and uh, one of the challenges, really is, you know, Muslim entrepreneur, you yeah. know, that you face this unfair extra scrutiny, but you know what? It's real and you got to deal with it. And, the, you know, crying doesn't help. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, so, you know, there's there's been a lot of things that they're even difficult parts of our journey, but we always have the faith that those difficult parts of the journey we'll look back five years from now and realize how really it was a blessing from Allah.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Chris, you know what? I had, I don't know. I, I even lost the track of time, man. I'm just kidding. I Let's see this
2: one hour. Yeah. It's already yeah. been an hour.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, You know what? We could, we could, um, well, one of the things we could do is that uh, to, I think, um, I mean, I I I know your co founder Samani and and Omar as well. Inshallah, one of these, I would like to get into them, them. You know, get their stories as well. But okay, so tell us this. Um, tell us where people can find you. Can find the launch good. And what would you like to mention? I mean, other things we will keep in the notes. Just briefly mention this, and um, then we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll say you know, we'll take it from there.
2: Cool. So launch good, really easy to find. It's everywhere. It's launch good. So at Instagram, it's at launch good Twitter at Mm -hmm. launch good Facebook at launch good. Um, you can email us support at launch good, go to our website. And it's, you know, we hopefully it should be really easy to find us. If not, we're not doing our job. Um, (laughs) and if people want to reach out to me specifically, I'm just Chris at launch good. Very easy. C H R I S at launch good. good. Uh, or you hit me up on Twitter. I think it's AR Blahveldt for Abdurrahman uh, AR, at AR Blauvelt. Um And, uh, you know, the thing I'd say, what I'd like to share about LaunchKit is we're just about to celebrate $100 million in total funds raised, which is awesome. a crazy milestone for us. Um, it's just, you know, it's like a dream. Like, you know, we couldn't imagine two, three years ago we were at you know ten or twenty million, and we're like you know one day we'll be at a hundred million. It just seems so far away, and that it's day here. is you know here. Maybe by the time this public co- podcast gets published, it will be live. <laughs> uh, or you we should let hidden. us know. We'll update it. Um,
1: you know, on, on the. So we we got season. something
2: special. We're going to be doing for celebrating that people can visit launchgood.com/slash/100 and uh, be part of that. Uh, the next step is to get to a billion dollars, which Inshallah. again sounds far away, but Inshallah, five years from time. now, we'll be at a billion, you know, and, and we'll have the next uh, goal ahead of us, Inshallah. So uh, we're just, we're honored to serve the community. We, we uh, seek your forgiveness and patience for the ways that we fall short. And we're really, really grateful for all the people that support us. And uh, for if, if, if there's anything we can do to help you and your community, please do reach out. Um, and uh, like I said, visit launchgood.com slash 100 inshallah
1: to see what that next step is sounds good I'm going to say
0: Assalamualaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh
2: Wa Assalam
0: Dear listener based on many requests from our listeners we are launching a Muslims on Fire Academy it's for those who want to do more than just listening it's for those who not only want to be inspired but to be one of the Muslims on fire as well It's for those who want to discover their purpose in life, follow their dreams, and live in prosperity. If this is you, join us for a journey of a lifetime. The introduction course is free. Learn more at academy.muslimsonfire.com Learn more at academy.muslimsonfire.com For show notes and questions for episodes, please visit www.muslimsonfire.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like our show, please rate, share with friends, and leave a review. With your help, it will enable us to reach more people and change their lives for the better. Stay tuned. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum.